time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, March 12th, 2021. Happy Friday to everybody out there, and thanks for tuning in today or whenever you're listening to the Get Home Safe podcast. Always appreciate the support. It's time for another weekend. Hope everyone's excited. Got through another week of uh, you know work and whatever you got to get done out there. I was thinking about this week, uh, you know, March 10th, a year ago, was the day when sports stopped when everything shut down or maybe it was the 12th it was it was either march 10 11 or 12 somewhere in there one year ago was when sports shut down you saw conference tournaments in basketball uh canceled you saw instances where games were canceled at halftime and uh, soon after that march madness was was canceled for the year it wasn't even postponed everything shut down gradually sports disintegrated really and fast forward to a year from now, I think the world of sports is alive and well. I got on my TV right here. I'm watching some college basketball as, as uh, I speak into the microphone. There's conference tournaments going on. Uh, the NFL got its season in. The, the NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball is going to get going here soon. I mean, there's a lot to be thankful for because one year ago, uh, sports just dissolved. It, it went away. And there's a lot bigger issues in the country than sports. But for most people, sports is an escape. It's entertainment that is live. It's unscripted. It's it's unpredictable. We we have favorite teams. The, the teams that we cheer for and we care so much about uh, are never going to love us back, but we keep doing it anyway. We keep being fanatical as fans. We have a passion for those of us that coach or officiate. I mean, we, our lives are revolve around sports because we love competition. We love seeing, uh, what brings the best out of people and the worst out of people in behavior. I mean, there's so many elements that go into sports and when sports were going away, uh, day by day last year, every seemed like every hour there was breaking news, baseball's canceled, basketball's canceled, uh, hockey's postponed, all these different things that were happening, which we couldn't believe we were seeing. But yet here we are one year later. We got through it. March Madness is here. Um, baseball starting. Major League Baseball in a couple of weeks. College Baseball is a few weeks in already. Um, th- there's a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot to be grateful for. And I think uh, it's been a tough year for so many people. But having sports to get us through some of these difficult times has been a blessing. And I applaud all of the athletes, the coaches, the administrators, the officials, everyone who has worked so hard to bring sports back because it wasn't uh, just one person or a couple of people. This was a team effort. And I am so thankful that sports are here uh, because most of what I talk about on this podcast revolves around sports. A lot of my guests, I talk about sports. They either participate in now or they did back when they were a kid. 
and the lessons that they've learned over the over the years. So thank God sports is back are back. Um I think there was a few months there where we didn't have any. And again, there's a lot bigger issues in the world than which direction a ball bounces. But I do believe that sports is there for us as entertainment. Uh, we laugh, we cry. It's just a very powerful thing. It's better than any movie you'll watch. It's better than, better than any television show. Sports is just something inside of us that we have a great passion to watch and to appreciate. And I'm so, so thankful it's back because one year ago, we weren't sure if sports were going to continue or when they'd ever be back. It was the weirdest thing in the world. I was umpiring a baseball game at the University of San Diego. Middle of the game, the first base coach came out to me and said, the NBA just shut down. A player tested positive. And I froze for a second. And I knew my baseball season was more than likely over. And it wasn't going to be postponed. It was going to be canceled. And a few days later, it was canceled. and my life changed. I don't umpire baseball anymore. I've moved on to other things. I don't regret it at all. It's a chapter in my life that, uh, I don't know, the book isn't isn't closed yet, but the page is turned. And so uh, we'll see. Maybe someday I'll get back into it. But for now, running this podcast, working at my new job, um, and, and just talking you know, with a lot of guests about so many of the memories I've made over the years in uh, in sports. And so that's kind of my new journey. And, and I, I am so pleased to be with you guys three days a week here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Okay, let me tell you about our guest today. You know, Fridays have been great in just having kind of a main event, a build up to the week, if you will, to have one uh, guest per week, really, that is a, is a new face, a new voice, really. And so today's guest is Ken Allen. And I met Ken Allen through baseball when I was umpiring high school baseball. I actually officiated some high school basketball uh, the same time he was he was in, but he retired kind of as I was starting. But Ken Allen has always been a, a baseball guy. He has a great deal of experience in baseball. He's, he's since retired. Uh, but a few things along the way uh, w- with Ken Allen, as far as on the field, his accolades, uh, I think he he has done as much off the field as he has done on the field, if not more. Um, the main thing we're going to talk about today with Ken Allen, though, is his experience as a broadcaster. He was a sports broadcaster with the American Forces Network. He's since retired. Um, he he was a part of that for 41 years, both as an active military personnel and then as a civilian. Um, he's a former member of the National High School baseball rules committee. He was the, was, and I think still is the California state rules interpreter for high school baseball. He was an instructional chairman for, uh, the unit I was a part of when I started umpiring baseball, the Foothill Citrus Baseball Umpires Association. Ken was also the instructional chairman for, uh, the Southern section, the entire section of umpires. Uh, Ken umpired division one baseball for 30 years. Uh, he worked in four conferences He's a, an observer now, or was, uh, I think they're not doing observers currently, uh, but he was an observer for the Big West Conference. He umpired Ford NCAA Division II College World Series, 
and he's been a contributing writer for Referee Magazine. Uh, so again, a great deal of things that Ken Allen has been a part of, and you will hear about all of that today in the fun conversation I had with him. Uh, just a great pleasure and a joy to talk to. He really had some influence on me. I was a first-year high school umpire. Uh, he was the instructional chairman leading the charge, and I kind of it was an interesting time in my life, and I got an itch to go to professional umpire school. Uh, he encouraged me. Lots of people encouraged me to go do it. I only had a one year of high school baseball under my belt. I went to professional umpire school, was fortunate enough to be selected, get uh, chosen and uh, put into the minor leagues, worked professional baseball for four years. And uh, Ken Allen, among many other high school umpires that I had associated with and still do to this day, they were incredibly encouraging to me along the way. And uh, it, even though I was working pro ball, I still was a part of the high school unit. I still came to meetings. I even worked a few high school games here and there. Um, and I was doing that a little bit as a college umpire too, after my professional baseball days. But Ken Allen has always been supportive, someone I could talk baseball with. And it was actually a big honor for me. Ken Allen was the instructional chairman, as I mentioned, for Foothill Citrus Baseball Umpires Association for a long time, long, long time. He was the face of the, the unit, really. And it was an honor for me to pick up where he left off and to become the Foothill Citrus instructional chairman myself after him. I only did it one year, so uh, I applaud him for all the years he did it. Uh, I could in no way fo follow, uh, you know, carry the torch as well as Ken did. I thought he was very well-spoken and was very good about speaking in front of large groups. And uh, I thought he did a great job. I tried. I tried to follow in his footsteps. I don't think I did it nearly as good as Ken Allen did. Uh, but it was an honor to follow in his footsteps, at least try. And uh, Ken, Ken's just a great guy. You'll hear, you'll hear from him today. His journey, his experience in the, uh, the military and the armed forces, uh, American Forces Network, uh, kind of, I thought it was really interesting. You know, that whole concept of broadcasting sporting events so that our men and women overseas or in other parts of the world, uh, whether they're deployed or just there on, on you know, uh, peaceful missions or whatever, that they can listen to a ball game back at home. You know, a, a Detroit Tigers uh, baseball game or, you know, a, a Phoenix Suns basketball game, whatever the case was, to get a little piece of home while they're across the world. I, I thought that was such a noble cause for the American Forces Network to exist and for guys like Ken to be a part of it. And so you're going to hear some great stories from from Ken Allen today, his his meeting of uh, different broadcasters and uh, just a lot of fun. We, we chat for about an hour and uh, I can't thank him enough for him coming on the program. Um, as always, I kind of give my two cents about a, a subject before we kind of go into our our um, our interview. And this is two things that I wrote down, and it's actually related to something Ken Allen will talk about. It's actually something I learned from him and, and other people as well. But it gets me, anytime I'm out and about, or I'm at work, or I see people at work, or people with different jobs, you know, you can go, you go into a restaurant even, and people have on 
the uh, some type of uniform. And some people, you know, they just do the minimum on uniforms. Their shirts untucked. They're they're wearing uh, shoes that don't match, or maybe they're wearing a backwards hat. It's not to say backwards hats are you know you're you're bad or anything, but you know it still has that like negative connotation when you're uh, as far as professionalism goes. I think anytime you wear a uniform, it should be it, it should look sharp. And there's different types of uniforms. Some jobs, you know, maybe your shirt is untucked, or you're not you don't have shiny shoes because you're working. You're you're out and uh, it's physical activity or something, but you know what I mean. Like there's people you see them and they just do the minimum on uniforms. They don't go the extra mile to to make sure their shirt is ironed or that uh, clothes even fit correctly. And, and I learned a lot of that stuff from umpiring. That appearance matters. You know, uh, take pride in how you look. You don't have to look like uh, someone who's in the military or something, but. I don't know. I think if you're going to wear a uniform, if you're going to wear a logo that represents something more than you, uh, the, the place you work, uh, the school you go to, whatever, I think you should have to take some pride in it. My junior junior year of high school, my high school went to school uniforms. And we were all up in arms. Oh, this is stupid. We don't want to do that. There was already a dress code, collared shirts and slacks and, and you know, throughout the year that you had, that, that's how, how you dress at our school. But then they made the decision, now let's just go to school uniforms. Let's just make it, you know, a much cleaner look. Well, a lot of people didn't like it. And of course, you know, high school kids, you're, you're going to do the minimum. You're just going to, you know, maybe all the things I just mentioned, you know, wear tennis shoes when you wear slacks or <laughs> stuff like that. And it's just like, okay, we're trying to step it up a little bit. But but that's something I've learned from my my years of, of life, whether it be officiating or working in a press box or the job I have now, carry yourself accordingly. And it starts with how, how you dress, how you look. You know, I think some guys in baseball really go the extra mile, making sure their shoes are polished and all those great things. But I think the guys who do the minimum in kind of their uniforms, again, not just baseball, but just I look around, I'm like, come on, man, step it up, pick it up a little bit, be better than that. But anyway, I just ramble. You guys know that I just ramble away when, uh, with some of these random thoughts. But I thought about it today, and I wanted to uh, share it with you. The other thing that I kind of learned in baseball that's relatable today, you could be having a conversation with your significant other, with your boss, uh, with a friend, okay, whatever. Body language. Body language matters. I, I got it a lot in, in situations with coaches. Uh, you can look on a field and be like, okay, how does that situation look? Does that look like a, a peaceful conversation? Okay. Some guys told, you know, say, don't talk with your hands. Or when a coach is waving his hands, you know, a way to uh, bring a coach down and say, hey, stop waving your arms. Put your arms down. Because they're like, wait, what? what? Anyway, uh, body language. For those of you married out there or who have girlfriends, you know, uh, if you're not looking at your wife or girlfriend or or you're not giving them your full attention uh they're going to pick up on it right so body language in conversations i think is something that is underrated because you got to remember not only is the person that you're having the conversation with do they are, are they wondering if you're really listening or not but anyone who's looking from afar they can see 
you know, you, you can look and see and be like, oh, that, that conversation looks like, okay, they're getting along just fine. And maybe two people are getting along just fine, but there's like, they're pointing or they're, or they're like clapping their hands and like, you know, giving you bad visuals and everything. So maybe it looks worse. I don't know what I'm trying to say here exactly, but I'm just, I'm just, again, rambling away. I think two thoughts were in my head today. Uh, looking sharp in any uniform you wear and the importance of body language. I think that's something we can always work on no matter what we're doing. And we, some of us talk with our hands more than we should. Some of us don't look someone directly in the eye when they're talking uh, or, or we, our shoulders are turned, turned away. Like we're not facing them. There's all kinds of little things that I think we do that we can improve on. I know I can, uh, because there is a big difference between hearing someone and listening. Huge difference. And uh, I think anyone who's been in a relationship a long time uh, knows what knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I heard you. Well, I know you heard me, but were you listening? <laughs> right? Big difference. Anyway, enough for me. Let's get to our interview with Ken Allen. I'm looking forward to you guys hearing this, as I am every single interview on Friday. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of baseball, a lot of broadcasting, and uh, just kind of chat about Ken Allen's journey through life. And I'm, it was a pleasure. I hope he's, he enjoys this. I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, A great guy and someone that uh, I'm a privilege to call uh, a friend and a colleague. So let's get right to it. Our Friday conversation with Mr. Ken Allen. Okay, today I'm joined by Ken Allen. I knew Ken Allen back when I was umpiring high school baseball. Uh, he was the instructional chair for the Foothill Citrus Baseball Umpires Situation for a long time. He has been the, the state rules interpreter for California baseball, uh, high school baseball for a, a long time as well. He's a former sports broadcaster for the American Forces Network. Uh, just a lot of fun things to chat about today, baseball related and otherwise. Ken Allen, how's it going, my friend? Hey, listen, hanging right in there, like with everybody else watching an awful lot of television. <laughs> not getting out very much. <laughs> I know, I know, Ken. Uh, you're a guy who's, who's grown up around baseball, you know, your whole life and being outdoors. And yeah, what a year, what a year and a half or whatever it's been, right? Just all this all this indoor time. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's like I said, no, nobody's doing anything. And I know that... Um, I was observing for the Big West Conference for the umpires, mm-hmm. and I know that they, they cut them out. We didn't do anything last year at all because they didn't get into the conference season. And then, then because of, to cut back on, on spending, they cut down. They're not using observers at all. So really, I'm not doing anything. I'm just, like I said, watching a lot of television. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time for me in the month of February and March that you know I haven't worked baseball. I'm kind of doing other things right now. But I think for a lot of guys, when baseball has been such a, a thing uh, that you've been a part of, whether you're an observer, an umpire yourself or instructing, I mean, to not then do that after doing it for so long has got to be weird. And I know a lot of guys are going through that right now. So uh, what, what are you kind of doing other than TV to kind of stay sane? I mean, are you looking for baseball games to watch on TV or, you know, kind of what, what have you been doing? You know, not really a whole lot, not really a whole lot. Um, 
as I say, I, I, I'm watching TV once in a while as far as, you know, the games on TV. And I guess I was just reading where the Dodgers are going to televise all their spring training games or whatever. So oh. that's about it. But, you know, just doing things around the house and whatever needs to be done. Not, and and I've, as I've often said, when you're retired, you can say, I'm going to do it the next day and not feel guilty at all. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you that is yeah hey absolutely retirement is a, is a good thing and uh you know ken we're going to talk a lot about umpiring and i have a lot of officials on here and everything but you have a very unique uh experience in broadcasting where uh, you were a, a broadcaster for the american forces network so what can you tell me about your experiences there what exactly you did with the network and uh, kind of how long you did it well i I was in the military. I was a broadcaster from 1966 to 69, and I was stationed at the American Forces Network in Frankfurt. And then when I got out of the Army, I was supposed to be broadcasting baseball for the San Jose Bees in the California League. Um, I was broadcasting there. I could only broadcast their home games because I was going to school. And they said, listen, we would really like to have you be able to broadcast for the entire season. Could you try to work your schedule so you can graduate in January? <laughs> and let me tell you something. I'm not a Rhodes Scholar. I'll tell you that right now. But I was able to do it. I was able to do it. And so they said, okay, we'll have you do, you know, broadcast for the whole season. Well, then, right after I got my degree in broadcast journalism, now I was open for the draft. Mm -hmm. no, more, no more deferment. So I talked. I went to talk to the went to the uh, off, recruiting office and talked to them. They said, "If you think if you want to join it, you better get to it because we're drafting everybody." I said, "I believe you. I believe it." <laughs> so I enlisted with a was a designation as as a broadcast uh, military operational standing MOS whatever it is. So I went to uh, went to basic training at Fort Benjamin Harrison. I, I'm sorry, I went to Fort at uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana broadcast training at Fort Benjamin Harrison. And then I was assigned to the American Forces Network in Europe. Mm. So, and, and it worked out good because I've been doing play-by-play -play sports and so forth. And so that really helped me a lot. And um, I was broadcasting sports there as a military. But the other thing we got to do is we got to broadcast a few games. And um, I do remember one thing I do remember from that experience is that Shelby Whitfield, who passed away a few years ago, was a civilian sports director and he would do all the play by play, but he would take me because of my experience to do color. And the American Forces Network transmitter was like 250,000 watts, which is three times more than any, you know, here in the United States. And you can hear that all over Europe. And I remember we were up in up in London to broadcast the Air Force Championship game or whatever it was. We broadcast the game, and then they would they would record the games from the United States and play them back at night in Frankfurt. Well, that was the day. That was one of the days for that the that famous Notre Dame Michigan State ten ten tie. Remember they were both oh yeah two of the twelve. Remember? Well, we listened to that game drinking a six pack of adult beverage, if you will, <laughs> um, listening to that game on his car radio, on the car radio from Frankfurt. I, that, and that's one thing I always, I always remember from that. Another thing I remember was uh, we had a sergeant, he, he was, a, his heart was in the right place, but he didn't, he wasn't quite getting the whole picture. But I do remember that he, he said, 
you have to wear your military uniform whenever you're covering a sports event. And we did boxing matches and, and football games and all kinds of stuff. So one day um, we were up in somewhere broadcasting a football game and we we're outside. And so there were a lot of officers at the game and we had to salute every time we came by an officer, we were in uniform. <laughs> and so then, then they said, well, listen, we're going to go to the officers club to get something to eat. And I said, Hey, we can't go in there with you guys. Cause my engineer, the engineer and myself were, you know, enlisted guys in uniform. So they said, don't worry, we'll take care of it for you. So we get there. Well, the club custodian comes over and he says, these two guys have to leave. And they said, they're, what do you mean? They're our guests. And they said, the club custodian said, I'm sorry, they got to leave. So we said, hey, don't worry, we'll get a hamburger or something. Don't worry about it. Well, the guy said, don't worry about it. This is not going to happen again. The, the guy who was the head of the um, special services for Europe, whatever it was. So I get back, we get back into Frankfurt. Monday, I get a call. The, the uh, sergeant major wants to see you. So I, said, I thought, you know, what, now what's going on? So I got up there and he says, uh, all right, Alan, you, you and your cohorts don't have to wear your uniforms anymore. <laughs> I go, well, that's cool. Thank you very much. He said, that's it. You're dismissed. I found out later that the head of the services for Europe was a fraternity brother of the commanding general of USERAR, the United States Army in Europe. They were, they were fraternity brothers. So when he told them what happened, the colonel sent a letter, sent a telegram, actually a teletype message to the American Voice Network. He said, this command would greatly appreciate it if you would allow your soldiers not to be required to wear the uniforms when covering sports events. So that's like a direct order from the commanding general of USERAR. And I have to tell you, I don't think I had to buy a drink at the, at the uh, NCO club for about a week after that. I was a pretty popular guy. But anyway, so that's that's what we did. And that was a great experience. And then after that, um, I, I got out of the service. And that job at, at uh, doing the sounds, the B games was gone because the, the station changed its format. They went to a different form and they didn't do so I So I had a wife and a, about a seven-month-old daughter and nothing. And I kind of went around, I finally got a job for a short time at a station in Port Wainimi, but I didn't have a good vibe, I, didn't, I wasn't getting good vibes about it. And they actually hired me and I said, you know what, I, I think I'm gonna pass up on this. And we already had our military stuff shipped to an apartment and everything, but I'm glad I pulled the club because they just shut that place down in about a month later. So I, 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 you know, I really dodged a bullet. Then I found out that there was an opening with the American Forces Network at worldwide headquarters in Washington, DC. And so I applied for it and they knew who I was because back there they could monitor any any station around the world. You just push a button and now you got the American Forces Europe, push another button, now you have the Southern Command Network. So they knew who I was. And I think that really helped out because they said they had over like 140 applications for the job, but you know, knowing somebody definitely helped out. And they, like I said, they knew my work so that's how I got that job. And so back in Washington, uh, I went ahead and started umpiring baseball. So I'm trying to get you back on track with baseball. No, thank you. Yeah, with a local high school unit in, uh, in Northern Virginia. And so th the training was we sat down with a rule book and read the rule book and went over the rules and things like that. And uh, so I finally started getting some high school games and I, I developed a pretty good schedule. As I said, we also did, we did uh, 
college games. And so small college games like George Mason University, uh, George Washington University, Catholic, we did, we did all those games. Yeah. So I, had, I was getting some pretty good experience working in college baseball. So we did all of that. Well, then we found out that they were going to transfer the operation to California, which was great because my wife was born in California, up in Lincoln, small town up in uh, south, north of uh, Sacramento. And then um, we did that. And so we got back. So we got moved to California. And when we moved from Seattle, we lived in Fullerton. And so I was kind of feeling with this area. So we were looking around. So we finally got a place in Diamond Bar and we've been here ever since where I am now. But anyway, so I, I checked to see who was doing the high school games and contacted him. And then um, I called I called the University of Southern California. I said, hey, who is assigning your, high, your, your, your uh, baseball games? And they gave me the guy's name. Boyd Maurer was the guy. And so I got in touch with Boyd and I sent him a letter and I said, you know, I'm um, high school and college, you know, umpire back here and I've umpired college baseball. And he said, I'd like to join your unit. So what he, so he sent me back a letter, you know, this is way before emails and all this other stuff. And he said, listen, get in touch with me when you get out here. So I said, okay. So in the meantime, I, we had about like 110 or so members in our association. So I sent them the list of everybody in our association with their phone numbers. And I said, dear boy, I'm sure you want to know something about me. So I said, here's the list of our association. Call anybody on this list. <laughs> and I sent it to him. And then I, I kind of forgot about it. And as it turned out, he, uh, he, uh, when I got here, in California, I called him up. He said, well, listen, I'm supposed to work a game between USC and Fullerton uh, in a couple of weeks. He said, why don't you just go ahead and take that game and we'll take a look at you. I said, okay, fine. So um, <laughs> I went ahead and, and I did the game. It was a very routine game. And so the next day, he said, Rod Dato loved you, you know, the whole the whole story. Yeah. So Rod Dato loved you. So listen, we're going to look at, we'll contact you next year. And they did. And so that's, that's essentially how I got into doing college ball out here. And I was also working in junior college ball. But now, right now, the way it is now, because the NCAA set up the rule that you can't, that Division I schools can't start their season until a certain date in February. Back then, I was on part at USC at the end of January. Yeah. So the college, the Division I and the junior college seasons kind of ran together. So I really didn't work that much junior college ball because I was working – yeah. Division one. Well, well, we got a lot to unpack there, Ken. You kind of <laughs> went, 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 all, went all over there, but uh, okay, let me see. Where do I start here? Uh, so the, back to the Armed Forces Network. So you're in Washington, D.C., and I've always loved Washington, D.C. Being there, you always feel a sense of like, wow, this is where things are run and everything. What was it like for you uh, living in, in DC and having a job like, you know, working for the American Forces Network? I mean, did you feel that sense of like, in DC, you're like, man, this is where the country is run. You know, it, it was, it was very interesting. And one thing I always, we, ha I have two daughters, Kelly and Jill, and they were, they were eight or not, not eight, I don't even think they were that old at the time, but they were old enough, you know, as we, when we got back there, at, you know, in, in junior high school and high school and everything is so compressed back there in, as yeah. far as locations and so forth. And we'd go to, we'd go to Gettysburg, for example, mm -hmm. And they would be in history class and they're talking about the Battle of Gettysburg and talking about Little Round Top. And they said, we were there. We stood on Little Round Top. We were actually there. So I think from a historical standpoint, it was very good for them. And, and it was good for us because we could go to the Space Museum and 
you know, do all these other kinds of things. So from a historical standpoint, it's pretty good. And we were there during the Watergate, you know, situation. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so it was, that's what we did. Spent a lot of time watching the Watergate hearings on television, but, and so, yeah, from a historical standpoint, I would say some of it rubbed off. We lived in Northern Virginia, which was right, right, you know, right away from Washington. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, places like Gettysburg, Little Round Top specifically, I mean, those, those places are uh, just sites for me that are so sacred. And, and, and I've had the opportunity to travel all, all over and, and DC is one of my favorite places uh, to go. I don't know if I could live there, but uh, definitely cool to see some of the stuff. Um, so as far as our American Forces Network, what were you broadcasting games in person or would you watch a game on television and then broadcast it for people? How did that work? The way it worked is we would have, we, we, they call it a PGAD, P-E-G-A-D, which is short for permission to add to broadcast. And our sports director had the, had the booth numbers, the, tele, the radio and television booth numbers of every major league stadium in the country. Mm. And he would schedule about two weeks in advance and say we were going to do the New York Yankees and say the Baltimore Orioles game from Yankee Stadium. So he would contact the Yankees to get permission to do that. Now, after a few years, the government just said, we, we've made arrangements with all the ball clubs. Just all you have to do is just get the number and sign in and you got it done. But before that, we had to do that. But we also had to have a backup game in case of rain. Oh, so we, so we had the primary and the backup game. So we went ahead and did, and, and that's how we did it. So now about maybe 10 or 15 minutes ahead of broadcast, I'll call, I'll dial up the, the booth number for the stadium and they'd feed it on the, on the telephone lines to us, however they did it. And then later we, we went to satellite and so forth. But so that's how we did it. And we'd get the game from the stadium and we'd sign on with the, with the opening theme and so forth and then go to the game. And then when they had a commercial, we'll be back after this message or the score at the end of three innings, whatever it is. And then we would put the seven, seven second delay on and then come back and, and go live all the time to fill out some, the space. We give scores of other games, other sports news and, and things like that. But one of the advantages of doing that, and of course we had, uh, we had the teletype service with the scores of other games and so forth. And we'd, we'd get those games and the, one of the good things about it was being being able to just go right to the network without having to get permission ahead of time for the, from that network. Yeah. I could be looking, I say, hey, you know, this guy's got a no hitter going into the eighth inning or going into the ninth inning. So on my live broadcast, I say, hey, so-and-so's got a no hitter into the bottom of the ninth inning in Kansas City. So as soon as we get there, we're going to go live to Kansas City for that. And they love that because we could do that. Yeah. We could do that. And I was thinking another thing I did too, I, I can go on all day with this stuff. Um, one of the things I remember when I was, um, one of the things I remember when I was broadcasting is uh, we'd have a situation, we'd have a situation, uh, we'd get video and audio from the, from the various uh, like Associated Press and places like that. And what they would do was they would send us audio clips of a guy describing a home run. And so I put it on, I said, here's a question for you. Is this the, is this the Kansas City announcer or is this a New York Yankees announcer? Well, of course, a New York Yankee announcer would go nuts if it was a Yankee guy who hit the home run. 
And if a Yankee hit the home run with a Kansas City announcer, it would be really downplayed big time. I yeah. mean, you could really tell. Yeah. Or another thing I'd like to do, I'd, I'd say, uh, I'd give the scores of the games and I'd say, here's a question. Was the wind blowing in or out at Wrigley Field? Here's your, here's your clue. Chicago 16, Cincinnati 11. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and just stuff like that. So I could I could do that. Yeah, that's I could, fun. You know, just to fool around. But anyway, so that's what we did. To, to directly answer your question, that's what we did. We get to feed from the stations uh, that broadcast the games, and we would come in with scores. So I did not actually do the play-by-play. Well, well I got to imagine that for our military personnel all over the world to listen to a baseball game uh, in Germany or Europe or Vietnam, wherever, like it had to, I'm sure for those guys, bring them home a little bit, give them a sense and also get their mind maybe off some things that they're dealing with uh, overseas or around the world. I mean, was that kind of the intent of the whole uh, American Forces Network to kind of broadcast and be available so that uh, the armed service members could kind of hear what was going on back home? It was. It was. And believe me, those guys loved that. They really did. And I know we would get, uh, we would call state, you know, the network at the ballpark and they say, hey, by the way, we, we got so many letters from our game that we broadcast last week. I mean, the servicemen loved it because, like I said, that's the only game in town. They're not, there's, if you want to hear English on radio, it yeah. was going to be through the American Forces Network. And so listening to sports broadcasts, we did the Super Bowl. I did countless Super Bowls over the years. They, I mean, that really, really made a big impact because, like I said, that was it. If you want to hear it, and we had, you know, uh, top 40 shows and all kinds of stuff, which I wasn't involved in. I was just involved with the sport, you know, sport aspect of it. How, now, how often did you get to go or, or tell me about some of the places you got to go uh, and, and attend? You talked about Super Bowls, but did you attend Super Bowls? I mean, I, I, we all who know you saw you uh, years ago at the Rose Bowl as you're standing behind Christian McCaffrey ready for an interview. <laughs> that was when I was like, that's Ken Allen standing right behind him. What's he doing? <laughs> so how many times did you get to go to uh, sporting events in person and kind of what were some of the bigger uh bigger sporting events that you've attended over the years well let me let me go back for a moment mm -hmm. to a situation in frankfurt we were we were uh promoting broadcasting the nuremberg ring which was a formula one race so it's a big race in germany mm. and we had intended to send a couple guys there to to send in reports we had a show called weekend world and this was kind of like nbc monitor which many many years ago had weekend programming for various aspects of, of show business, entertainment, and things like that. So we had a show called Weekend Monitor that, th that they had. We called it Weekend World. And so we were going to do a couple of live cut-ins that we actually broadcast the race. Well, about we're going to leave on Friday. And on Thursday, we were told you can't go. We're not going to, we can't fund it. Whatever the skill, we would have been promoing this thing for two weeks. <laughs> so we thought, what are we going to do? So finally, I said, I got an idea. So we told the guy that we'd call him in, but I called it from the sports office, which is right down the hall from the studio. And he said, no, let's go to, and I said, do not say that I'm in Nuremberg. Just say, here's a, let's get a report from Ken Allen on Nuremberg. Do not say I'm there. So I did the report and I, cause I got it off the television, whatever. So then, so Monday, the, here I am with a Sergeant Major again. He says, uh, heard you guys on the radio from Nuremberg. I said, no, sir, sir. No, sir. We were not, we were, I was in the building, but I was not. He says, don't do that again. I said, 
I got it, no problem. <laughs> so, but anyway, when we were out here in California, I would I would go to the dot cover a lot of Dodger games and send in reports after the game that they'd use on the sports shows. Same thing with the Rose Bowl. And at one time, we would I would say I was going to the game uh, at USC, and I'd, I'd cover almost every one of the USC home games and most of the U UCLA games. But um, we would be broadcasting to the network, say Ohio State and uh, Michigan, for example. We would be broadcasting that over the air. Well, at halftime, or maybe during a timeout, they would say, now let's go to Ken Allen at the Memorial Coliseum to see what's going on with USC and Oregon. Mm. And I'd go on, and I'd be, that would be a live cut-in report on the, you know, for 10 or 15, max, about 20 or 30 seconds on that particular game. So we do that a lot. We would do that mm. a lot. But anyway, and then um, for covering a, like a World Series or the actual, the last event I actually covered was the All-Star Game in San Francisco. Oh. So what we would do was we, I'd have my tape recorder and I'd tape the news conference after the game with the various people. And then I'd go up, I'd, we'd have a, they'd have an area for all the broadcasters and I'd go up there and I'd, I'd have to do it in such a manner to get to cut in, it would call, be called the wraparound, which means you have live reports and, and things like that, but you'd have comments from the players. But what I'd have to do is I'd have to set, set the tape recorder to the spot where the cut in was with the, with the player I'd want to go to. And I'd, and I'd call up on the phone and I'd say, all right, here it is. And I'd do the first part of it. And then I'd, I'd hit, the, hit the, the start button and that would record, it would play back that particular thing. Then I'd stop it and I'd tell the guy, okay, stop the tape because they're taping it back at the studio. <laughs> so they'd stop the tape, I'd queue up to the next one and we'd just repeat that process. And now when I was done, they'd still have to, they'd have to tighten it up at the studio. Now, now I have a recorder the size of a pack of cigarettes. I could do all that there. And so now when I send it into them, it's a complete report. They don't have to, all I have to do is just record it and they're done with it. So, but anyway, so that's what I did. And I covered like the Super Bowl, covered World Series. I covered, when I was back in Washington, I'd catch a couple of NBA playoff games and things like that. But it was, it was a great job. And as I've told some, so many people repeatedly, I never worked a day in my life. I loved oh. it. It was just <laughs> outstanding. I, I mean, you, you, you got the that radio voice, you know, Ken. I mean, I mean that in all sincerity. That's uh, you could tell you you've got experience in that, and it, it's fun to hear you chat. And I know you can chat a long time, so I'm glad you're here today chatting with us. Um, who are who are some of the broadcasters? Did you meet any broadcasters in in person? Any famous? Uh, did you ever meet Vince oh, yeah. Scully or oh, anything? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. All those guys. I'll I'll give you my Bob Euchre story. Yes. He, that's what I wanted him to do was to say, hi, this is Bob Euchre, the Milwaukee Brewers Radio Network. It's time for Major League Baseball on the AFRTS Parade of Sports. That's all he had to say. And I told him that. And, and, and most guys should say it. And they say, all right, good, let's go and you do it. Well, they kept messing it up. He said, look, it was a, I had a rough night last night. <laughs> he said, can you write that down for me? And I said, sure, Bob, I can do it for you. And he did it. And then with Harry Carey, for example, I said, Harry, can you do this for me? Rather than just, just normally introduce the game in yourself and so forth, just say, hi, everybody, this is Harry Carey. It might be, it could be, it is. It's time for Major League Baseball. And the, he said, yeah, no problem. And it was great. I mean, just, you know, they're, they were so happy to cooperate. They would do all kinds of stuff for us. They were great. What's Vince Scully like? 
outstanding class guy, outstanding class guy. Um, and, and the same with him, and, and he was such a, such a laid back kind of a personality, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just, and I, and I can give you, I'll give you my, I'll give you my uh, Vin Scully story. Um, at Dodger Stadium in the press box before a game is about maybe an hour before the game. And what happened was I was sitting there, you know, just nothing going on. And this lady comes up to me. She says, is Vin Scully up here? And yeah, I said, yeah, he's probably down in the broadcast section of the press box. She said, you know, I would just love to meet him. I said, well, I said, stay where you are. I'll see if he's here. So I went down to him. I said, hey, Vin, I said, there's a lady, lady up here that says she would love to meet. And he said, yeah, sure. And it mirrors an hour before game time. Mm -hmm. So he goes down there and he introduces himself. Hi, I'm Vin Scully. And I was kind of standing off to the side and it was, you know, but it was the most delightful conversation he said well you know what it's been i really enjoyed talking with you but i've got to get back to work i hope you enjoy the game and so he left and she she her eyes were glistening mm. and she said that didn't make my day that made my year wow but that's just a, that's just a, the kind of a guy he was he he just he, i mean just an outstanding person mm. Yeah, I, I think that's the number one thing with him. Uh, you know, a lot of listeners here obviously know who Vince Scully is. I mean, his voice, uh, his narration, uh, just the way uh, the way he did a ball game was was unbelievable because he talked about so many different things, and he worked best by himself only because he enjoyed like having a conversation with the listeners rather than him and a a colleague working, and so. Uh, I'm, we're a little biased here in Southern California, but he, I mean, he is, he's just so such a pleasant guy to listen to and just one of the best to I've ever done it in my opinion. Let me, let me interrupt you for just a moment. I gave you my Ben Scully story. So now that we're talking with the Dodgers, I'll give you my Tommy Lasorda story. Okay. All right. this stuff? Okay. This <laughs> is after the 1989 world series. Now you have to go back a few years. You remember Dave Kingman, <laughs> hit those three home runs against the Dodgers yeah. and a young announcer asked, you know, innocently say, well, Tommy, what was your opinion of Dave Kingman's performance? And of course, you, you know what the result was F bombs everywhere. So anyway, so now we're, this is a 1989 all-star game in Anaheim. So the game's over. They have the post-game conference. These guys are asking questions and I'm thinking to myself, should I do it? Should I do it? And I finally said, I'm going to do it. So I put my hand up and they said, I said, Tommy, I said, and, and let me pre preface this for a second. Bo Jackson in the first inning for Kansas City hit a titanic home run to straightaway center field. I mean, just yeah. crushed it. Mm -hmm. And he was later named the MVP of the game. So anyway, so that was, that was Bo Jackson. So anyway, I put my hand up. I said, Tommy, what was your opinion of Bo Jackson's performance? And the Los Angeles media just went nuts. They started laughing. And the out-of-town guys are thinking, well, what was so... They didn't know the background. They thought, what was so funny about that? And Lasorda thinks when he puts his hand up, he says, I'm not touching that. <laughs> so. Oh, Tommy, rest in peace. Yeah, a true competitor and an intense guy. And yeah, for those who don't know about Dave Kingman's performance, just... Go ahead and look that up on YouTube sometime and cover your ears. <laughs> uh, so mostly baseball broadcast. Did you meet any other broadcasters from other sports? I mean, we were we were 
incredibly blessed here in LA to have guys like Bob Miller and, and Chick Hearn. Did you ever meet guys like that? Yeah, sure. I met Chick Hearn. In fact, he did, I did a couple of stories with Chick um, right off the top of my head. Um, because you see the other sportscasters from, you know, from the out of town teams, you go and say hi to them because a lot of times they're down on the field, just watching pregame and batting practice and so forth. And all of them really are, are pretty decent guys. I can't, you know, truthfully say one of them was not or, or, or was disagreeable. I mean, even Howard Cosell, I, I knew Howard Cosell, oh. met him back in, uh, when he was back in Germany, Frankfurt to broadcast a fight when they were, when they took the, you know, the title away from, from Muhammad Ali. And so they had this thing where they had a bunch of matches and that, and he seemed like a very nice guy. I mean, I, I know he's got both sides of the, of the coin there, but I was, <laughs> I thought he was a very, very agreeable guy. Yeah. No, it's man. It's cool talking to broadcast. And you mentioned Bob Euchre, one of my good friends, uh, Jeff Levering is now the radio voice of the Milwaukee Brewers. And he works hand in hand with uh, Bob Euchre on a daily basis with the Brewers. And so it's cool to hear kind of the inside of how things work because, you know, broadcasting, you are really the bridge between the viewer or the listener into what is happening. And so you have a great deal of responsibility. Some broadcasters, in my opinion, uh, overdo it, maybe whether it be complaining about the officials too much or just, I don't know, telling us things we don't need to hear. But do, do you see broadcasters as kind of a, a profession where you do have a great responsibility in, in, in really being that bridge for fans? Yes, absolutely. You absolutely do. And, and I know that, that a lot of broadcasters are homers. I get, I get that. <laughs> but I, I also understand the fact that we're there, we're there to observe something and report on it. That's, that's the sense of what our job is. And it's not about us as a broadcaster. It's not about us as a broadcaster. It's about us as reporting what we see out there. And obviously some are much more entertaining in, in providing that information than others are. But I always kind of like to like to think of myself as providing information that somebody may not know about. Mm. Good example. Good example. A lot of people don't realize that that the third base coach has signals that he gives, you know, the hit sign, the take sign, all this kind of stuff that he has for the batter. But a lot of people don't know to avoid detecting those signs that they have different, they have a different signal for each batter. Mm -hmm. So if, if uh, Mike Trout is hitting, the take sign might be to touch the top of your hat, but if it was somebody else, it would be across the chest. So, and I never realized it. I, so now you mentioned that. And so it's a water cooler. And the next day, somebody said, Hey, did you know about this? Yeah. So again, you're providing information to help them learn the game. That's essentially what it is. No, no, absolutely. And, and it's a fine line because there's broadcasters that can come across like know-it-alls and like talk down to you almost, but right. no, it, it's, it's about providing that information and also not and, uh, indulge, you know, what's the word indulging or, or whatever, like going overboard and like, okay, you know, it, cause you got to tell truth. You can't just opinions are cool, but you gotta be truth telling in your, you can't just like make that up. For instance, what you just said, you have, that has to be some truth to it. Something you've heard. Um, because you know, so yeah, some people will believe anything they hear. And, and it's again, a responsibility of broadcasting to, to report. And you have a unique position, Ken, being a guy, with the Arm American Forces Network, who you didn't have a team you you that you were you know loyal to one way or another, so you always got to be that impartial uh, uh, broadcaster, right? 
That's true. And and I have had people ask me, you know, who's your favorite team? And I say, I don't have a favorite team. I'm just hoping for a good game. Yeah. That's essentially, essentially what I do. <laughs> Very awesome. Well, you did a bunch of different sports. You said it sounds like a lot of baseball. What what was kind of your favorite sport to cover? Was it baseball? Uh, you mentioned some fights there. I, I've gotten into combat sports a lot more these past few years. So uh, boxing's pretty cool for me, but what are some of the various sports you did and kind of why you like each one? Well, football, foot, I mean, just the three major sports, football, basketball, and baseball. Football, because it's just a, the whole atmosphere of it. Mm. And it's really interesting because I, I officiated basketball and umpired in baseball. I never did football. But I've never heard anybody who officiated football that did not say they loved it. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's because of the atmosphere, the cheerleaders and the bands and all that kind of stuff. So and football is always good. And and it's like any other sport, some crazy things happen out there. Like, remember, they try to kick a field goal to win the game. The guy catches it and runs it for a touchdown again. Remember the Alabama game several <laughs> years ago? They're trying for a field goal. He misses the field goal wide to the right. Mm. And the safety catches it, runs it 106 yards for a touchdown. It's just things like that. And and the same thing with basketball. You just it, And those guys are so good. It, I don't think anybody, myself included, really knows how good those guys are. I remember... I remember working a scrimmage before the Olympics, the Olympics in Los Angeles, and Japan's baseball team came over to play an exhibition against UCLA. Mm. And there's a three-man crew. I was the first base umpire. And this guy hits a slow roller to the second base. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my mind, there's no way he's going to get it. Bam! There's, I thought, oh, my gosh. Yeah. How did he get that ball over here so fast? Mm-hmm. And so, it, again, it's just the level of competition. It, 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 and, it's, and again, again, going to the D1 level is such a huge difference between high school varsity and division one. Those guys are just so good. Every level you go up, there is a wow moment in, in any sport. I don't care how long you, you know, what if you think you're ready for it, whether you go from little league to pony league to high school, high school to college, every time you climb the ladder, there's a play like you just mentioned where you're like, oh, okay, I <laughs> got to be more ready. Can I tell you, Ken, the first time I met you, um, you may not remember this, but I do. I have a weird memory. Um, it was my first year doing high school basketball. And so I, I started all three sports the same year. And I, and I echo your statement about football. It's the most fun you can have. Uh, but anyway, working a high school basketball game and I got something worked out where I got to be have my very first varsity game, varsity girls game, but they needed someone. And it was, you know, those tournaments they did at, at these schools where there's games all day. Well, I had my first big break was a varsity girls basketball game at Ayala high school at 8 AM. 8 AM was the first game. So I got to go there. I worked the game and you follow, it was just one game and you followed me. I don't remember who you're working with, but you were so happy that, our game because the worst thing in those tournaments is is games go long and start times are late you shook my hand you said hey hey thanks for keeping us on time at our 9 30 a.m start hey hey good job <laughs> and uh, that was my first moment with ken allen little did i know we'd meet down the road uh, talking baseball and stuff <laughs> that's right yeah that's that's right so so tell me ken about um umpiring i mean how did how did you get your start umpiring it's always interesting to me to hear when guys first got the itch to do this 
this craft that is, it, it, it's not for everyone, but the guys that do it, they absolutely love it. So what was your first umpiring moment? Well, my first umpiring moment was when my brother was playing Little League and they needed a, somebody out of the stands and I volunteered and it was an absolutely nothing game, nothing happening. I didn't have the slightest idea of what I was doing out there, but I thought to myself, this is kind of fun. This is kind of fun. And so I, I moved on from there and, and, and progressed through the, through, the, through the ranks to get up there. And it's one of those things where I th you're right, and not everybody can do this. You're absolutely right about this. And I think, the guys, I think the guys who are most successful in umpiring at any level, at any level, are guys who, number one, realize the game is not about them, okay? We're out there just to facilitate the game, essentially, is what we're supposed to do out there. And I think successful umpires have a little bit of empathy toward the players and coaches and, and the managers, whatever you're doing. And it doesn't, you don't have to think too long to figure out why that should be a necessity because where in the world can you fail at something seven times out of 10 and be considered a success? Mm -hmm. 300 hitters get to the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. So it's an extraordinarily difficult and frustrating game. And I think good umpires understand that. I, I really do. Mm -hmm. yeah you, you have to yeah you have and to. so anyway so that's how I started and, and I just you know moved up to moved up to loud and I think the other thing too is I never I never said hey I hate working for this coach or I hate this guy I never that word isn't even in my vocabulary now there's some guys who require some handling I'll give you that <laughs> I get that but and I also understand that, you know, co coaches are out to get the edge, however they do it. And some come up with some pretty incredible ways to try to get an edge. But um, I remember when I was back in Virginia, I was the president of the high school association back there for a couple of years. And um, I got some, some couple of major league umpires to, 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 do, to go ahead and do a clinic for us. One of them was Nestor Shylock who lived not too far away. And he did a weekend clinic for us, was just fabulous. I mean, just all kinds of, you know, good tips to help your umpire. One of them, for example, I can give you all kinds of them. One of them, for example, would be a situation where um, he says, don't, he said, don't ever forget, don't ever forget that that visiting team, that visiting dugout is watching to see what you do out there. Mm -hmm. And if you let that one team get away with all kinds of stuff, what do you think is going to happen the next time you have to work these guys and that other dugout? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just, you know, naturally progresses and you, and you learn, you get information from the various umpires you work with. And I always try to have somewhat of a post game. Is there anything we need to clean up or anything we need to do differently? So that was always helpful. But I think the other thing that helped me out was every, every umpire is a different personality everybody and you you have to adjust you have to adjust to different personalities i mean they have to adjust to me so yeah you know what absolutely and, and a lot of the game it a lot of the game of baseball it officiates itself but we're out there for that you know those 15 10 percent of plays that are like uh there's debate over <laughs> there's disagreement that the plays that one team's going to be mad whether it's right or wrong just because it looks close you know uh calling pitches i mean balls and strikes a lot of them are no-brainers but there's a lot of tough ones out there and i think consistency and confidence is, is a huge factor in all that and carrying yourself but i know you've always been a guy as the instructional chairman for instance of our of the high school unit i was in you know, you were very big on, on your appearance. It matters. The second you, you get to the field, uh, 
how you wear your uniform. I mean, those things go a long way because at least your first impression is good. If your first impression is poor, then they're going to think you can't umpire even quicker than they than they do in the game, right? No, that's true. No, you're absolutely right. It, it's it's very true. And I, see, the thing is, the thing about baseball is very it's very subjective. There's you know how does a guy stand out there? How does he walk to his position? How does he do that? I mean, the only positive thing in this world, I think, is mathematics. Two and two is always going to be four. Okay, that's not going to change. <laughs> but for everything else, everything else, you you know, you're subjected to your appearance, your uh, your demeanor on the field, for example. And I know I I can go to a game in about in and in about one minute after watching an umpire decide whether he wants to even be there or not. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It's a trained eye. And, and after working a long time and watching umpires a long time, because um, because I would think you and I and, and a lot of umpires, they they know they, we look at things different than fans do. That's what makes the craft special. You know, the balls hit everyone's, you know, watching the ball and the umpires start moving. Right. Or uh, the ball's coming in for a play and, uh, you know, everything else is moving and umpires are standing there waiting for it. Like it's just a it's a different mindset. And it's something that a lot of people can't adjust to, but the ones that do, that kind of put aside their fanhood, uh, I think those are the ones that are able to excel the most. I agree with you. I, I do agree with you. And and some fans, I mean, really get, you know, that's fans is a short for fanatical, no <laughs> kidding about that. But really, that's very true. And I I can't ever think right off the top of my head, ever having to be chased in my car, you know, give, give my key to somebody say, Hey, make sure my car is running when this game is over, you know, one of those deals. But I, I do remember one time I was working a summer league game and I was a base umpire. It was a one run game and the home team had run us at first, had run us at second and third. All right. Guys a two out, got to fly ball into right field and the right fielder makes a great rolling catch, great catch, but the ball comes out safe, two run score games over. And we've got to go through the dugout of the losing team and their fans. Mm. And obviously they're, that's ridiculous. That's you guys can't even umpire little league, you know, all that kind of stuff. And finally I said, all right, I'll explain it to one person. Who's it going to be? <laughs> and they all, they all kind of stopped for a minute. And one of them said, Joe, Joe, you be the guy. You be, <laughs> I mean, that just stopped everything. And so I said, okay, first of all, this is not the National Football League, okay, yeah. where the ground cannot, but by rule, by rule, he has to have complete possession of the ball and, and release has to be voluntary and intentional. And so now, well, that's a terrible rule. I go, well, that's the rule. Yeah. <laughs> later. Have a good one. See, that's, uh, you're going to get me going. I'll be rolling all day. No, it's all um, good. See, that's another thing too, that, that coming up with the right answer is a great, a great thing. It's a priceless thing. And I, I think back to Mike Weathers when he was coaching at Long, coaching at uh, Chapman before he took over at Long Beach State. And, and Mike and I got along really well, but he had a situation in the game with the run at second base stealing and the batter clearly interfered with the throw. I mean, he stepped right across home plate and the throw goes in the center field. The guy winds up at third and I, you know, I called interference, but as it turned out, we didn't have to call it because the, you know, the guy, I think that's what, Oh, I know. Back me up, back me up, back me up. <laughs> the guy, yeah, the guy interfered, went to third. I got it now. Anyway. So here comes Mike. That's terrible. You got it. You know? And I said, Mike, I said, your batter clearly interfered. 
step back and interfere with that guy. There's no question about it. And he says, well, that's terrible. He said, I said, I'll tell you what, Mike, tell you what I'm going to do for you. If you can give me a legitimate reason for that guy stepping clear across home plate, I'll bring them all back. I'll bring every one of those guys back. He goes, well, that's a pretty BS answer, but you screwed up the call. And he left, but that ended the conversation. And that's basically what you want to do as an umpire is to end the conversation, however you can do it. However you can, yes. And, and sometimes we'll say force is necessary, uh, you know, for lack of a better term. And, and you, you get pushed to the point where you don't have a choice but to eject. So do you, do you have any, uh, I don't know, ejection stories? You probably don't have a ton of them, but just do any, uh, any stories you could share with us of times where you had to pull the trigger as a, an ejector coach? Yeah, I do. One of them, well, one of them that comes to mind right away is Andy Lopez when he was coaching at Pepperdine and mm-hmm. then in any one of the world, it won a uh, NCAA championship, I think somewhere. I, it was out. It was at Pepperdine. Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, they were playing somewhere. I can't remember where they were playing, but anyway, I was working the bases and the plate umpire was getting into with one of the, with one of the assistant Pepperdine coaches and Pepperdine was playing terrible. They had about three errors. They were playing, they had a bad day. So here comes Andy. He said, I'm getting so sick of this game. You're going to have to eject me from this game. And now, if it happened today, I said, I would say, are you sure you want to go? Good, good, good. You're gone. Well, at that time, I didn't have that much experience of a coach asking me to throw him out of a game. <laughs> so I said, well, Andy, I can't just throw you out of the game. You've got to do something. Maybe you can curse me or something. And he was a pretty religious guy. He said, well, no, I can't do that. I said, wait, I got an idea. And we're, you know, we're talking. <laughs> I got an idea. He says, let me stand over here in the dirt. And you can kick dirt on me. He says, I can certainly do that. Let's go. You know, it's just stuff like that. You know, I can't, I can't remember any. Oh yeah. I can remember an ejection I had when I was in the army. I can remember that. Oh, I had a situation. Yeah. I had a situation in the game where um, I threw this guy. Yeah. I threw this guy out of a game and we're arguing. He says, he says, not only that, you can't throw me out of this game because I'm short, (laughs) which means I don't have very many days left in service. And um Anyway, so he says, you can't throw me out of this guy. I'm short. And I, he says, and I said to him, how short are you? And he said, 17 days in a wake up. And I said, that's not short enough. You're out of here. Let's <laughs> uh, you know, these, these things come up. And, you know, we're talking about dealing with coaches. And I know that it, in the 88 World Series in Montgomery, Alabama, they had a, they had a yellow line that de- designated a home run, you know, the so-called yellow line, above the line, home run, below and not. And um, I can't remember the Tampa coach at the moment. He's, he, he's a very good coach. He's passed away since then. But anyway, so this, and I'm working the, this is a championship game. And I'm working the third base line. I'm on the line because the California team was playing. So anyway, this guy hits one and it, and the ball hits, I got a good, thank goodness. I got a good look at it. And that ball hit about maybe three or four inches above that line. And I just had the presence of mind. I signal, and I told the right, the, the the left fielder, "Don't throw the ball! Don't throw the ball! Don't throw it! Don't throw it! Don't throw it!" As I'm saying, and so he did. Well, here comes here comes the coach. That's you got it. That was that was obviously below the line. You, and I, I just let him let air it out. I said, "Hey, here's a question for you. Why do you think your left fielder didn't make a play on that?" <laughs> yeah, not knowing I was yelling at him. So. You know, these things just come up. But again, the bottom line is keep the game under control. Keep the yeah. game under control. Let them, like you said, let them play the game. We're just there to facilitate what's going on. What What can do you think you 
and it's hard to say sometimes, but what do you think you enjoyed more being on the field as an umpire or in your many years of instruction, being the state rules interpreter for high school baseball in California, being on the, uh, the rules committee, being the instructional chairman of Foothill Citrus uh, baseball for almost 30 years, we'll say, I mean, has being in those positions where you are instructing and kind of being a voice, has that been more fun for you than being on the field physically, or is it kind of a tie? I mean, what can you tell me about that? Well, I, I enjoy being on the, being on the field, but there's absolutely no question of the enjoyment of, of being an instructor, being on the rules committee, because you can help other people get better. Mm -hmm. You can help other people get better. And that to me was, was very enjoyable. Awesome. Well, well, tell me about being on the rules committee and being a rules interpreter for, because you, you hear all the time fans and oh, that's a, that's a bad rule. Whereas, you know, we all know this coaches are the ones who write the rules every year and make the rule changes and everything. So how does it all work? How does it work being not only the state rules interpreter, but being on the rules committee, does everybody come with a new rule idea and then you guys vote on it or how does that work? And was that nationally or just in California? Well, okay, I was on the National Rules Committee as, as the umpire representative. The Rules Committee in high school has a coach's representative and an umpire's representative, and then they have uh, uh, representatives from each section of the country and Hawaii. Wow. So it's, it is a, it's not just the coaches, it's a mixture. Mm -hmm. And essentially what we try to do on the Rules Committee is to, is to you know, make the game run smoothly, I guess is, a, is about a better way to put it than anything. And we try to use common sense in that. And we also try to consider how efficiently are the umpires going to be able to enforce this rule. And I'm very proud to say, I'm very proud to say that I had direct involvement in changing some rules. One of them, one of them was that the, the teams cannot come onto the field be, before the, before the pregame meeting is over with the umpires and the coaches at home plate because we'd have the home plate meeting. Now the pitch would come out to warm up and now everybody have to move the meeting away from a home plate. And the first time I submitted the rule, I just said, that just looks very unprofessional. Didn't do anything about it. Two years later, I put it in. It's a safety rule. They couldn't get that in the rule book fast enough. <laughs> so, you know. Do, so, you, do you think uh, that, that, that that's the magic word? I mean, we live in this, uh, this crazy world in 2021, but I mean, as a rules committee, if you just say, hey, this is for safety, I mean, that, that gets people's attention more than other things? Yeah, yeah, there's no question, which brings up a very good point. High school baseball is the only baseball in, the, in America that does not require the third base coaches as adults to wear helmets. Yes. They don't, in, 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 uh, in, in the high school rule book, there's no requirement. In ca California, there is. California said, no, no, we're gonna, those guys have to wear helmets. And I've been asked about that. Why is high school baseball the only baseball that doesn't require that? And the reason is they don't consider that uh, as a, 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 a maximum risk type of a situation. They don't consider that an unacceptable risk. Yeah. And when you think about it, that, that minor league coach who was killed was hit in the neck. He wasn't hit in the head. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I think we do a lot of that at times, you know, I'm not taking away anyone who, you know, was hit by a line drive or anything, but we do kind of overreact and we put out solutions that maybe aren't really solutions. Yeah. You know? Um, so anyway, one thing I will say about high school baseball is it is 
completely different from college baseball and it's completely different from professional baseball. You got to remember who you're dealing with. And so a lot of the rules that come up in these discussions, I'm sure, is there pushback at times? Cause they're like, Oh, they don't do that in college, but it's like, well, we're not doing college. We're doing high school. Well, that's true. And, and I have to tell you, I have to tell you, there are some rules in there that I don't particularly like because they don't seem to provide any, any specific service. Now, the, the rules committee and, and Elliot Hawkins, who heads all that, he does a fantastic job, just outstanding. But there are some rules in there. Uh, one of them, for example, just as an example, they had a rule in there that they finally changed, but on a ball four, a pitched ball four, the batter runner could not overrun first base. He could overrun it, but he would be in jeopardy of being tagged out. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, well, why would you want to do that? And the reason why is because maybe it's a pass ball and maybe the guy thinks he can get to second base. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so naturally he's going to be going full speed at first base and he's going to overrun the base. Well, why would, why are we going to put him in jeopardy for that? And they finally, they finally changed the rule. And another rule I wanted to get changed that they finally did change was with the fourth horse play slide rule, which is a safety rule as well as an interference rule. Well, they said you can't overslide any base. And I said, well, what about home plate? What do you make the new guy come slow to a stop before he gets there? You know? and they, they finally said, yeah, you're right. Good point. And so finally somebody put it in the rule book that you now at home plate, as long as it's a legal slide, you can't slide and make yeah. contact past home plate. Well, this is something I learned right off the bat when I started working football. And it's, you know, everyone thinks they're a rules expert because they watch the NFL on Sundays and they all have, you know, a 10 second runoff or he was out of the pocket. And it's like, this is Friday night. This is high school rules. And so it drives me crazy kind of when people, they watch major league baseball and they think, well, that's the rule is. And it's like, no, this is high school baseball. Uh, no one's making money here. So things are very different, but uh, I will say with rules, as someone who's worked various levels and having to remember all the different rules, it, it is difficult at times. And I like when the game isn't touched a whole lot. The foundation of the game is kept the integrity of it and everything. Um, I understand safety and this and that, but is that kind of a challenge really in these rules discussions, really not letting the game get too watered down and, and different from the way people know it? Well, that's true. And I, I, I think the most important element of any rule is what is the spirit and intent of this rule? Why is this rule in the book? And I'll yeah. give you a perfect example. Perfect example. Say you have runners on base, the pitcher is in a wind-up position, and by rule, by rule, to disengage the rubber, he has to sit back with his pivot foot, by rule, to disengage the rubber legally. Well, suppose you're in a game situation, everybody's all excited, and the coach says, Billy, step off the rubber, and Billy steps off with his non-pivot foot, and nobody does anything. The, nobody does anything. Now, by rule, that's a balk. By rule, that's a balk. Are you going to call it? Uh, well, it's it, a spirit. Uh, and again, I, I'm not going to say yes or no, but I'm just asking you, would, not you specifically, but anybody, would you call that? It, and, it'd be tough on that one not to, because it's like, it's kind of, I guess it's black and white. I think a better example, Ken, would be, do you remember that super regional at Cal State Fullerton, uh, Arizona State? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes. I, I think this is, a, this is college ball, but it's relatable. Um, Fullerton was, the game was tied bottom of the ninth and there was a runner on third at Arizona State. 
was going to intentionally walk the batter. And the batter, it was ball one, ball two, ball three, whatever. An intentional walk of the batter, runner at third, nothing's happening. And the pitcher was in the set position. He comes set and he delivered to the plate. Well, one of the pitches, I don't know if it was pitch three or four, the umpire or one of them or two of them called a balk. He called a no stop balk. That one to me is a lot more gray. It was like, did he stop? Did he not? I thought he stopped enough for the situation. A balk was called on an intentional walk and the runner from third came in and Fullerton won, won the game. They lost the series. They lost the next two, but I remember that play. And that was the first moment for me learning about umpiring and being like, that's a technicality that you should stay away from in that situation. I mean, does that, does that a little bit more? No, no, that is absolutely correct. That is that. And see, I think this is the problem to, to when an umpire starts umpiring, you have to umpire five or six or seven years just to get an understanding of the rules and how they should be applied. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. That was a terrible call. I'm telling you right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I know the play exactly because I have it in my PowerPoint presentation on game management. Yeah. That, that video is there. And that, it, it's hard to believe that was 15, 16 years ago now. I I, but the <laughs> point is, no, but that's a perfect example of what not to call. And see, that's why some, some umpires get the idea of their rural fanatics. They call any little thing that happens out there because they don't understand the spirit and intent of the rule. Mm-hmm. That's why, and that, and 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 the other point being too is what is the spirit and intent of the Bach rule? The spirit and intent of the Bach rule is to prevent the pitcher from making an, an illegal deceptive move. Mm-hmm. They always say the pitcher can't make a deceptive move. Well, that's not quite right. That's exactly what they're trying to do, but they have to do it within certain guidelines. Yeah, and, and I'll tell anyone who's who's a who's a who's an, a firm believer in letter of the law versus spirit of the law. You tell me how you would feel if you got pulled over going and, and given a ticket for going sixty-seven miles an hour when the speed limit's sixty-five. It's clearly marked. There's no doubt about it. It's sixty-five miles an hour. If you go sixty-seven, that letter of the law, you were in the wrong. But is that really the intent, spirit and intent uh, of the law? So I think those are things as rules interpreters and as umpires that you deal with on a daily basis is a, that's a great concept, really spirit and letter of the law or the rule. You know, I was talking about that business about the pitcher stepping off with his non-pivot foot. Yeah. And um, I had that in a college game back in Virginia. I was umpiring back there and this pitcher did that and then fired it to third base to try to get the guy. Okay. Stepped off. Now, if he just stepped off and nothing happened, I'm, I'm okay, but he stepped off and threw it to third box. I scored the guy. Boom, well, the yeah. coach came out to argue, and I told him, I said, Coach, you can't let him do that. Well, two minutes later, same thing happened. They blocked him. Now the coach comes out. Now I have to eject him from the game. <laughs> but that's when you apply, that's when you enforce that rule because now they're using it to take an advantage not intended by rule. That's the problem with that. Well, and we're seeing more and more of that. It seems like everybody, some of the more savvy coaches out there will do some research learn the rules and they will try to manipulate scenarios or, and, and their argument, well, this is the rule. This is the rule. And, and I, you know, and they're very proud of that. But again, that is something that is, is really a big factor is gaining an advantage, not intended. Is is that not intended by rule? Right. That that is something as officials, you always got to keep in mind too. 
Yeah, and coaches, you know, coaches spend all their time, and I don't fault them for doing that. I have no problem with that. Well, no, no, yeah. But that's our job to stop it when it happens. That's the deal. And I, I think another thing that separates good umpires from average umpires is good umpires have the courage to make those calls. Yes. Good umpires have the courage to make the call, make the call the situation demands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it, situation it's, demands. it's little things. I mean, a guy tagging a guy too hard. You know, it's like, what? I'm just tagging him. It's like, okay, listen, I know what you're doing. You're going to be a problem for me or for the game. If you're not going to be professional enough or whatever term you want to use to, to play the game correctly, then, then I will, you know, I will fix this. But it's like, I just hate when guys are like, well, there's no rule against this. And it's like, you know, baseball more than anything can is a game of unwritten rules. That's yeah. true. You're right about that. <laughs> no, the You're rule, right. the rules that are written are hard enough to to enforce. Let alone all these unwritten ones too. So uh, it's a constant challenge. But hey, someone's got to do it, and I'm glad umpires uh, continue to do so. Yes, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because when the player says, "Well, it's not in the rule book," and that, and my response would be, "Well, I'll tell you what, do it again, and you're done." <laughs> How's that? How's that for an ultimate? There you go. There you go. You sound like a child. I mean, some players and coaches sound like children sometimes with comments like that. Well, well, you know, anyway, I won't get too much into that. <laughs> Ken Allen, this has been a pleasure. Any, any parting uh, thoughts or parting stories? Anything else you'd like to say? Well, I can give, yes, I can give you one more. Okay. We're talking about players, how players go with umpires. Yeah. I work in a high school game and I, I'm working a plate and I'm going, everything's going smoothly. Nothing's out. But in this, I don't know, the fifth or sixth, I, I just missed some pitches and I knew I missed them. I knew I just, come on, you know, kick yourself. And the catcher says, come on, blue. What are you doing back there? And I said, Hey, I've been giving you a pretty good game so far, which I had. I've been giving you a pretty good game so far. His reply. Oh yeah. Well, the Titanic was doing pretty good for a while too. <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. That's a great way for the ship to sink and, oh man, wrap it up. Oh, that's a good one. Touche, touche, uh, Mr. Catcher. Yeah, yeah, I'll put, I'll put that one in my pocket to use someday. That's a good one. Ken Allen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for talking uh, broadcasting and baseball with me. Uh, it's been a long time. I haven't seen you or talked to you in a while. This was fun. Thank you. I, I appreciate you inviting me to do this. I've really enjoyed it. All righty, Ken. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much, Ken Allen. It was a blast talking about some baseball and some broadcasting. Great way to get us around third and home safe for the weekend. Appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Those are some great stories, Ken. And uh, thank you for your service and all that you have done for the American Forces Network. Uh, and the game of baseball here in Southern California. Just uh, tremendous experiences and uh, just very awesome. Very cool stuff to hear. Uh, can't thank you enough, Ken. And I hope to see you very, very soon down the road. Well, guys, that will wrap up today's episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. A lot of big things going on here uh, at the podcast with our weekly schedule. Again, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Generally on Mondays, we don't have a guest but we do have a guest this coming Monday. We are going to be joined by head football coach from Rio Hondo Prep, Mark Carson. We are going to talk, uh, just not, I wouldn't say briefly, but it's a shorter interview than most. Um, we're going to talk about the upcoming football game against the rivals from Pasadena Poly. The Rio Hondo Prep versus Pasadena Poly football game is to be played 
on March 19th. It is at a neutral site, we'll say. I earlier talked about it being in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. The game has been moved from that venue, and you will have to tune in on Monday to hear from Mark Carson and where that game will be played. Uh, it's kind of a breaking news uh, type of situation, but I want you guys to tune in on Monday and hear from Mark Carson as to uh, where that game will be played and how you can uh, watch the game because there are a few options and he will fill us in on Monday regarding that football game. We'll also talk about the history of the, the Pasadena Poly rivalry. Um, there is uh, It's only going to be a three-game season for Rio Hondo Prep, but at least they're getting something in. And with the game against Poly to be played on the 19th, uh, I will say they're they're doing that's probably the biggest game of the well it is the biggest game of the year especially for those uh, seniors out there who have uh, long awaited in playing football their senior year so uh, great things to be announced on Monday with Mark Carson be sure to tune in you don't want to miss that one we will preview the upcoming matchup against the Pasadena Poly Panthers and uh, go into maybe the history of the rivalry a little bit with Coach Carson as well. So if you're a fan of Real Hondo Prep, and even if you're not, be sure to tune in as this podcast will always talk about Real Hondo Prep football and other athletics from the high, the high school there as well, um, as well as other things. Yes, as you heard today, Ken Allen talking about umpiring and baseball and broadcasting. Uh, lots of different things here at the Get Home Safe podcast, and we wouldn't have it any other way. So Again, be sure to tune in on Monday for a special edition of our Monday podcast here at Get Home Safe. Guys, there are plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. I would love to hear from you. So please send us an email with content suggestion, topics to discuss, or questions for me or potentially Bill Barnes, who's here every single Wednesday for the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. The retired police officer, as you guys know, has very strong opinions about current events and always lets loose on Wednesdays with us. On Fridays, we have a special guest already lined up, already recorded, ready to go, and uh, very much looking forward to that for next week, much like uh, we had a great guest on today on the program. Please give us a like, give us a follow on those social media platforms. You can contact us through those social media platforms as well. We prefer emails. It keeps keeps everything together. You can also send in a voice message. If you look at the episode notes, there should be some links there if you choose to do so. That's it for me, guys. Appreciate you listening today and to all the other podcasts that we have put out here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Well over 200 now and, uh, and counting. We're on our way. We'll be back next week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, as we've been the past few months. So looking forward to you guys joining us then. Again, don't forget Mark Carson, head football coach at Real Hondo Prep on Monday with a special edition of the Monday podcast. Hope you'll join us. Can't wait for that. Please, guys, enjoy the weekend. Be safe. A uh, little bit of rain and cold here in Southern California, well, at least to our standards. So uh, be safe out there no matter what you're doing. Uh, enjoy each other's company. States everywhere are opening up a little bit more, little by little. That's good news. Great news. Can't wait to uh, get back to normal. Everyone wants normal, and I think that normal is uh, hopefully just around the corner. Guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or round in third base, get home safe. Mm-hmm.